0: Colleagues, welcome back to the office and welcome to our presentation and podcast for today. This is Practical Advice for Preventing Organizational Data Breaches, Part 1. My name is Steve Yass. I'm joined today by my good friend and colleague, Randy Johnson from Hutchinson, Kansas. And we're going to have a discussion on some insight with respect to how you can improve organizational safety and uh, organizational uh, prevention techniques for data breaches in your organization. Today's class is going to cover a wide variety of topics, and it's part one of a part two, which we'll bring you later this year. Uh, and in today's class, what we really want to kind of focus on is helping you understand data breaches, what they are, how they function, and how they present a risk to your organization. Rainey, I don't know about you, but it really feels that data breaches are much on the rise today and frankly are like an existential risk to pretty much every organization out there.
1: Yes, Steve, they are uh, clearly increasing in volume. I think the pandemic actually was a trigger point because so many people went home and didn't have enough security protection at home, and the bad actors discovered that new vector. Plus, they've gotten more sophisticated over the last three years. So, uh, you know, to me, it's now clearly not a question of if you'll have a data breach, it'll be a matter of when. And in fact, just before we went on the air, I was talking to somebody who just had a data breach with cryptocurrency and was dealing with that today and so it's very very common unfortunately
0: yeah, I completely agree. And today we really want to talk about, I would say, getting started with this, helping understand, quantify the issue, who are the threat actors, what are their motivations behind it? Uh, you know, it's believable, unbelievably not always about money. It could be about revenge. It could also be about, uh, there's this whole idea of hacktivism, you know, that uh, we can uh, attack and breach other organizations to gra- gain awareness of a particular cause. Uh, And then I also feel that today we should take a look at some of the top attack types here and uh, get a sense of uh, generally what are these major attacks uh, that we should be familiar with ransomware certainly being the leading cause, but uh, business email compromises, social engineering still very, very much at the forefront. Uh, Now, Randy, we are going to be pulling data from a couple of different reports. Uh, You know, I will say there are wonderful, insightful reports that are published for free by a variety of these different organizations that are out there. Uh, Probably the most notable of which is certainly going to be the Verizon DBIR report, Data Breach Investigations report. I got tuned into this probably about 10 years ago, and I, I mean, it's one of my favorite reports that come out every year. Uh, and I figure we'd probably go through some of the statistics from that, as well as uh, the Sonic Wall Cyber Threat Report and the CloudStrike Global Threat Report. But um, I, I would say we're almost in a renaissance of uh, of uh, reports for right now because they're so insightful. And we have so much more data than we did just even a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah, and the details and I believe the factual nature of those reports are good. And when you take something like the Verizon report that has a long run rate, Mm -hmm. the comparative Mm -hmm. information that they now have is – Pretty interesting. You know, the charting differential in this year's report, I think, was also interesting because we've both read those for a long time. People must wonder if we have a life (laughs) because we like to read that type of stuff. But it's been very interesting to see uh, the trends by industry. And, you know, we'll we'll chat about those things as our time together
0: proceeds. Sure, sure. And then I, and then our second episode, uh, which will be coming out later this year, I think we talk about some remedies and uh, some safety techniques because, you know, we want to probably scare you straight today, but then give you some light at the end of the tunnel uh, tomorrow with respect to things that you can do proactively uh, to protect yourself. I'm going to, I think you would agree there's nothing, there's no way to eliminate risk. It's just like in an audit. You just, you know, mitigate it to a prudently acceptable level. Um, but I would say there are definitely mitigation things that you can do now that make it much easier we, it's a much more known threat amount now and it, it frankly seems in some respects whether it be for example like the uh data breach that occurred for the uh, colonial pipeline in 2021 or you know some of the other things in the news that we've seen you know i'm not going to say that that they're 100 preventable but there are some definite best practices that if you follow it will make your life simpler and easier and promote better security inside your organization Yeah,
1: this whole concept of minimizing the risk is probably the best we can do, and uh, we'll talk about the techniques that will work uh, for you, and again, Steve and I are both pretty practical about this stuff. (laughs) I think we've got a a fairly uh, deep uh, set of remedies that we could use, but frankly, we've got to make it simple enough that it'll work for those of you who have small businesses all the way up into enterprise businesses. You'll find the techniques are actually fairly similar.
0: Yeah. And I'll also point out too, I mean, like it's best practices. I mean, this stuff besides just, you know, helping reduce your, your data breach. I mean, it's a better way of doing it, frankly, in almost all circumstances. It's going to make you more effective, more uh, efficient with your work. It's utilizing newer technology. I mean, there's no reason not to, to do this. So uh, let's go ahead and get started here, but before we do, I do want to remind our listeners that if you are listening on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you happen to get your content today and you'd like some CPE credits for today's presentation, you can certainly get them. After watching or listening, head on over to cpetoday.com, and today's course code is PA. DB, and you'll find today's class, you'll complete a short five question quiz and earn a credit for listening or watching. Uh, our podcast is produced twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays, and you can watch live at 11 a.m. Pacific. And if you can't watch or listen uh, in real time, again, you can find us wherever you happen to get your content. Now, if you're a new listener or watcher to the CPE Today podcast, thank you so much for coming. Uh, You can make today's podcast 100% free for a credit by using one free podcast to check out. uh, And you can make today or any other class of your choosing, podcast class of your choosing, uh, completely free for a free credit just to try us out and see if you like it. All right, Randy, let's go ahead and get into our first section here with just getting started with data breaches. And, you know, I'm going to Repeat something I said a few minutes ago. I, I really do view this as being that big existential threat to the organization. It's, it seems that you know in 2020 we had a ton of data breaches. Even more in 2021, and by all accounts, with respect to the different reports that I've been reading, in 2022 will be another record-breaking year. If you wouldn't mind, why don't you go ahead and you know just kind of lay the land, uh, give us a lay of the land here for what a data breach is and, and what some of the impact that might be to the organization.
1: Yeah, so, you know, a data breach is basically anything that can cause your business disruption. Now, that could be short-term outages. It could go anywhere to, you know, business cessation where you just fail so catastrophically that you go out of business. Uh, It turns out that there's multiple ways that your businesses can be affected for data breaches, but most commonly, it's human error. Uh, the bad actors are going to, uh, you know, go after your organization and they'll try to get you directly, uh, with some of those types of uh, attacks. And we have to do a lot of security training to, uh, to prevent some of those things. Now there's a lot of different types of uh, security issues that are out there, but very common ones are done with malware, ransomware, where an attempt is made to lock up your organization and demand payment be able to recover your data now the data breach basically uh, occurs when these bad actors can get inside mm-hmm. your system and then they've got a variety of techniques that they might use to steal a uh, copy the information and so forth
0: yeah yeah and you know I, I would say in today's environment as you mentioned before it's not a matter of if it's when Uh, You know, really, I think with mitigation efforts, it's just, you know, pushing the goal line out a little bit further. You know, we're staying one step ahead of the bad actor. Um, And if we're following security practices in 2022 that were designed in 2020, I mean, it's just we're not staying up with respect to where these potential threat actors could be. And from my perspective, I really do view it as a moral ethical and professional responsibility and obligation of, of organizations today to do everything they can to prevent this because you know it just seems that you know with a data breach uh it's not just you know oh my god we can't work today or or you know it might have affect my data as a tax professional you know if your firm got breached you could be putting thousands of people you know at potential risk of identity theft or financial losses or more and if you don't make this a, a, a prime you know, competitive, uh, advantage of your company, a, a prime operating procedure. I mean, you could really hurt a lot of people.
1: You can. And let's face it, Steve, on that point, as a public practice accountant, uh, you really have a fiduciary responsibility to your clients and you have a legal responsibility with the, uh, you know, IRS 5293 pub and all the supporting requirements for having security plans in place too. So, uh, all the interpretations say that you fall under gramley lied but for all of our industry accountants, all of your customer data, all of your employee data is also under your protection. And if you uh, allow that to slip out, it's on you. And that's part of the reason so many of us now have cybersecurity insurance. And by the way, cybersecurity insurance rates are at an all-time low. They're only going to go up from here.
0: I right know. I know I was talking to a, a colleague recently who was deciding whether or not they, they wanted to have uh cybersecurity insurance and they decided to go with it. They ended up having a data breach that year and thank goodness they had it in place because uh, you know, it, it would have absolutely bankrupted the organization otherwise. So uh, you know, unfortunately I think their rates went up considerably the following year, but uh, you know, it's unfortunate with respect to, um, you know, what that can actually cause to an organization. But, I, if, you know, it's just like water, power, or internet access now, it's a it's a core business thing that you just, frankly, have to have.
1: Yes, and and you know, the cyber insurance policies, uh, Steve, are gonna change quite a little bit with enforcement of more multi-factor authentication. Yeah. And like I said, the rates are gonna go up, but the requirements are also going to go up. So you're gonna have to do more, education proof that you're doing it and so forth on these policies and I don't think you could be without it very safely uh, I think the risk is just too high uh, not unlike uh, most of you probably have your home or your car insured and it's not that you're hoping that you'll get a payment you're hoping you never do but when you need it
0: you need it yep yep I would agree I would agree Uh, and you know, frankly, it's everybody it's worldwide. It's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's all different types of organizations. It's, uh, it's not just, uh, uh, businesses. It's not just, uh, it's not just, um, you know, government agencies, NGOs. I mean, it's all types of organizations that, uh, that you would need to, uh, to protect yourself against, uh, and be able to, uh, kind of secure your organization, uh, for so, yeah. Yeah, I I think the risk is definitely there. I think the risk is only going to get bigger here in the couple of years. So it's important that uh, we all take active steps with respect to, um, you know, kind of protecting ourselves and protecting the organizations that we work with. Now, saying this, I've got some pretty interesting statistics here that maybe we can split and kind of read through here with respect to uh, some of the uh, major factors of um, facts and statistics with respect to data breaches in 2022. Uh, Starting first and foremost, I'll leave with this: there's a ransomware attack every 11 seconds these days, and I don't see that changing any anytime soon. I mean, ransomware. I mean, whether you're Colonial Pipeline and it's in the millions or even a small mom and pop shop, a you know, ice cream shop or a po- small public of practice firms, it feels that we're all, you know, uh, under attack with respect to ransomware. And I mean, how, how do you see this happening uh, in the next couple of years? Do you think it'll get a bit faster or slower? Well, Steve, I'm going to
1: illustrate with another set of numbers. Um, Microsoft a year ago was reporting on the Microsoft 365 Office 365 platform that they were having about a 1,000 attacks a minute, okay? Yeah. Today, they're reporting about that same number per second, okay? So, you know, when you look at this ransomware attack being 11, you know, once every 11 seconds here in 2022, well, the fact of the matter is that we're going to wind up with thousands of attacks. And by the way, on the Microsoft numbers, a fairly significant number of those get through and begin trying to infiltrate the Microsoft environment. So, is it, you know, uh, 60-fold, which is what the Microsoft number would indicate? It's, it's some big multiple, and it's not double, it's not 10 times, it's, it's something bigger.
0: Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I think it's just going to get bigger, faster, stronger. Um, you know, yeah, it's, it's incredible. Uh, you know, and a couple other of these that kind of just stick out and feel free to, you know, mention any of these that stick out in your mind. And a lot of these are actually coming from the Verizon report, the CloudStrike report, the uh, SonicWall report. Uh, so I've kind of pulled the best of the best of some different different reports that have popped up here. Um, you know, this one right here, 84% of all cyber attacks were distributed by email. And I, I bet if you were to normalize this to business attacks and you were to kick out, you know, uh, personal you know, personal uh, breaches. I bet it'd be 95%, you know, kind of come through through email. Email continues to be, I would say, probably the most threatening attack vector out there for businesses. It certainly seems to be. And of course, the cost
1: of these uh, breaches is going up. Uh, You know, the uh, Verizon report putting out at 4.24 million in average now versus 3.86 million. And uh, personally, I've known Directly, So this is not hearsay. This is uh, clients and non-clients that have paid a million, million and a half in uh, ransom. And the reason they had to do it is because they didn't have adequate backup to recover from. And the cost of not getting the data back was, uh, you know, much worse. But, you know, a lot of these are reputational protection, too. In fact, You know i I know of another canadian situation where an attack was done they paid the ransom they had backups and so forth but it was a healthcare organization and the perpetrators then after they got their first ransom said well if you don't pay us a second ransom we'll uh disclose who your patients are and so they were going through saying look we're gonna Hold you hostage, mm-hmm. blackmail, if you will, for having such a thing, and we'll just start dripping out the names of your patients. Yeah,
0: yep. Yeah. Was that the uh, out, of, out of curiosity? Was that the there was a uh, doctors group that was attacked, I believe, in Scandinavia, like Denmark or uh, Sweden, and one of those was it from them? No, this was mm-hmm.
1: Canadian. And okay. you know, oh, you said you think that yeah. about this? Yeah, no worries. But you think about the socialized medicine. Countries, you know, they their practices uh, are pretty specialized and localized. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, with the way we work, uh, each of our hospitals and physicians and so forth all have these records. Uh, I think we're a higher profile risk here in the United States than many of the other countries
0: who are around the world. Sure, sure. I was uh, the reason I brought it up. I think it's in the. I think it's in the uh, SonicWall report. They talked about a, a doctor group in Scandinavia uh, and it was the first example of triple extortion, uh, you know, where you pay, you know, the ransom, then you pay not to have your data leaked. And then on top of that, they mine the data now. In this case, they found patient records. It was a, it was a group of psychiatrists um, and they went to each patient and demanded a ransom. I think it was like 500 or a thousand euros not to leak the notes the psychiatrist had taken during their session. I mean, it it just, unfortunately, you know, folks, the other thing to remember about this with a data breach, these people have access to your files. I mean, if you had login information to other data sources, other networks, I mean, potentially they can find that and barring some sort of additional like security measure, like two-factor authentication, they'll get in and then they can cause a data breach there. And that's why I personally think Moral, ethical, and professional responsibility, because these things can be so damaging, you know, once they occur. Yeah.
1: And that Canadian example in that Sonic Wall report is fascinating, and it's not the only one of those types of attacks all around. And the bad actors are getting more and more creative about it. And mm-hmm. I also understand why you as an individual or a patient might not want certain medical issues uh, like in the case of this one psychiatric issues revealed of course you know, maybe of you're course maybe you're a normal guy on the job and you know maybe uh, you know all of a sudden we find out you're a serial killer you hey. uh, know i i don't know
0: i know man i know i know well it in the words of the great Beatles, uh, with a little bit of help from my friends you know if you need good psychi- psychiatric or therapy help by all means seek it and i'll tell you one of the tenets of therapy is is it's a safe space. It's a confidential space. And uh, I would feel as a practitioner, they absolutely horrible. You know, if it, because of my security practices, I would, I would have one of my patients, or if I were a public practitioner as a CPA, one of my clients to experience that kind of hardship, because uh, no matter, it's one of those things, like you could wish it not to happen as much as you possibly want. But once that cat's out of the bag, it's out.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, what we're really dealing with here is records of all kinds fall on this class. Yeah. And again, you can take it from business, uh, you know, think about the medical we were just talking about, but think about something like a religious organization.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know,
1: and the records that might be there when you were talking about confidential. So it's on all fronts. Now we're going to focus most of this in the dollars and the, and the, uh, you know, other business-related issues, but it is clear that people are breaching organizations for financial gain. Uh, You know, I don't know a current number on this, uh, but I know that uh, traditionally a bad actor might make $125,000, $150,000 a year just supplying the labor. So, you know, that's not a bad job if you would consider that your job. Uh, but we also understand that the espionage approach is in play. You know, we could talk about foreign state actors. In our case, let's just say it's the Russian or the Chinese or, you know, any other government that might be doing this type of work. And they want that information to give them an edge. Maybe it's a diplomatic edge, maybe it's a military edge, and it might be some other type of thing. But. Espionage is also happening in businesses as we see it. Mm-hmm. And then it's not unusual for, you know, the grudge uh, factor to pick to kick in. Uh, you know, we, we, they perceive they've been wronged, so they're going to get even. Yeah. And uh, it, it is very, very common that bad actors will take customer lists, let's say, or client lists with them mm-hmm. and then, you know, sell that. To bad actors and that's you know one of the most recent breaches i was dealing with is an internal uh, team member uh, had actually copied the entire customer base records and then when they were terminated they sold it Yep. so they not only got their uh, the exit from the company but they got a nice little reward for selling that and then of course the company wound up with the you know much more serious thing And, you know, when we go back on this over time, Steve, again, both of us have been around this a while. In the early days, this was much more like a puzzle. It was a mental challenge and people did this for fun uh you know they were just seeing if they could break in and you know it would be like you know solving a jigsaw puzzle or a maze and and that's what people were doing but you know the stealing of the data was just to kind of prove you could yeah but it seems like it swung far further towards financial gain at this point
0: do you remember the uh the movie in the 80s i think with matthew broderick was in it war games You know where they break into the uh, department of defense and you know i think it's a summer camp or something and it's basically turns into this computer summer camp and then like their summer project was to um you know see what they could breach but it was basically a bunch of kids just seeing if they could do it and um now today though as a
1: matter of fact I remember it, Steve, because I actually used it in my seminar series that year. Really? Okay. Because I was, yeah, as a matter of fact, I talked about it and people were aware of it pretty broadly at the time. And, uh, you know, it was new because uh, remote access was so uncommon. But today, with Internet access being so common and turned on all the time, You know, it's, it's a lot different today where we have continuous connection as opposed to the intermittent dial up connection like we had in the war games days.
0: Yep. 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 I agree. And, you know, it's, I would say the threat landscape has changed so considerably now with respect to, uh, there's so much money in this. I mean, and You know, in some respects, these 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 criminal organizations, they run just like normal businesses. They have developers. They have like almost salespeople with the ransomware for as a service type of approach with Ruck or Sam Sam now. Um, You know, I mean, they've got like PTO and payroll and I mean, they run like businesses, but their business is inflicting pain and hardship uh, on other organizations. And the last thing I'll mention with that with respect to the criminal enterprise here, you got to remember, I mean, this isn't happening, at least for the most part here in the United States. These are groups that are operating typically in Russia, Eastern Europe, China, North Korea. They're operating in places where I'm not going to say it's necessarily encouraged, but it's not also necessarily illegal. Like I cannot imagine the FSB is going to arrest a a hacker in Moscow for breaching a U.S.-based organization, especially given today's climate. And the laws and regulations of the U.S. start and stop at our borders, folks, you know. And so these groups, they almost can operate, dare I say, with impunity uh, because there's nothing really that can stop them. And they make so much money doing this. It's a billion dollar, billions of billions of dollars industry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I just see that again, continuing to be larger. And when we look at some of the uh, direct attacks on financial systems like the swift breaches that have yeah. occurred. Swift is the international money, money transfer mechanisms. Uh, not to mention the attacks on banks, uh, and other financial institutions. I mean, we can just go on and on and on on this, but it is, it's about the dollars and uh, it's about the power on this stuff.
0: Well, I think that's as good of a time here to, as any, to start with our first review question here. And, uh, What are the main motivations for data breaches? So, uh, Randy, what what do you think it is?
1: Well, you know, the options here of financial gain, espionage, and ideology, uh, you know, we've actually talked about all of those, as it turns out, Steve. So my vote is going to be for all of the above. I think that makes sense. And there's more. Those are just three of the motivating factors.
0: Convenience. There's secondary reasons. I mean, there's a lot. And so while each answer is independently correct, the most correct answer uh, would be all of the above. As all of them for various different reasons and sometimes two or three reasons, you know, let's not forget the fact you can combine these if you really wanted to as well, uh, can be reasons for why an organization might experience a data breach. Sometimes, frankly, the other piece I'll say of this is, is, um, uh, coincidence too you know sometimes like these people breach something and then it's like oh they have an rdp set up a roma desktop to another organization and it's just might as well go and breach them too sometimes it could just be straight up convenience
1: yeah and you know like you said a combination here where you might uh, have an ideology and you're using the financial gain to fund it so yeah all of a sudden you you are getting
0: leverage yep yep so um You know, this is coming, uh, this next part here about the standard procedure uh, with respect to data breaches. Obviously, there could be individual breaches have individual steps. Some of these breaches uh, can be incredibly complicated and sophisticated. Um, Did you ever read about the, uh, the great bank heist in Bangladesh? you know, it was a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, you know, I mean, if you're not familiar with it, you, if you Google bank heist, Bangladesh, uh, ransomware, Bangladesh, it's an incredible story. Um, most likely it was North Korea that was behind it. That almost resulted in the in the country of Bangladesh, having their entire monetary reserve stolen for the country, like a billion dollars in hard currency. They ended up losing about a hundred million, but you know, it's, which is still horrific, but, um, it's a really, really fascinating story with huge, like Complicated scheming and plans and steps you know and sometimes it's just really simple you click on a link you shouldn't have clicked on and you download ransomware and you have to pay a thousand dollars to get your data back but from my mind randy i think if you really kind of boil it down three main steps you compromise you exfiltrate and you monetize does that sound about right to you
1: it does in fact because you know the compromise sometimes you'll hang out and just kind of lurk around seeing what the opportunities are and the time that a breach occurs to the time it's actually monetized may be long to the point that it may be hard for you to discover exactly what time you were compromised uh, on in other cases the bad actors will start uh, you know right away uh working on this because they don't want to uh, squander their opportunity now that they're in there so they'll immediately go to work stealing the data or infecting the systems if you will but those steps seem to me to be pretty common uh in almost any breach
0: yeah yeah and you know a lot of people like if my mother were here was here she'd say well why would anybody want to breach me why would anybody want you know my my data and, and it's the reality of at least from my perspective it's a numbers game 99 times out of 100 unless you're a notable company a celebrity for us common folk here uh, our are simple simple podcast folks like us you know it's really you're a number on the list. You're an IP address on on their roster. Uh, you're a business address that they're that they're that they know about. And if they can't get to you, they just move on to the next person. You know, but it's not personal. You know, it's just business in you know, the in the words of the Godfather. Yeah,
1: and you know, to a degree, if we te- keep it personal for just a minute, it's almost like uh, dumpster diving for identities. You know, people used to go to the trash cans and try to steal information so they could breach accounts, and they'd do that in neighborhoods. But if you consider today that Many people have a home computer, and they have a lot of information on that home computer, iPad, mm-hmm. phone, for that matter. And if the bad actor could get your your uh, uh, bank account information, and could get your insurance policies, and could get the title to your property, yeah. and
0: uh, it adds up really quickly. I get it.
1: Them, right? Yeah. So, and there there has been actually quite a run of you know, car title and land title transfers, and then people go to sell their home and they realize, well, you don't own it anymore. Yeah. Well, I never sold it. Well, yeah, you did. And here's the documentation. So it can happen at the personal level and and it's really going to the easiest target. And what we're going to try to also teach you as we continue here is how to become a little less of a target. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Yeah, I would say just it's minimizing your your vector, minimizing you know the uh, the the amount of space, air, uh, land, uh, you know your your digital footprint, if you will, you know to to make it as 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 secure as you can and as small as you can. Now, um, I was skipping ahead a little bit here, but since you brought up the timeline of the attack, this actually is coming from a DBIR report a little ways back. But I, I, and they haven't published this since. So the data is a little bit old, but I I cannot imagine it's any less relevant today, Um, which is the timeline before the compromise, the compromise occurs after the timeline. Have you ever seen this, uh, this chart before? I have. In fact, I
1: like this when I wish they would have an updated version of this, but I'm like you, I don't think that it has uh, likely varied a lot. But fundamentally, friends, this uh, this attack idea is that, you know, most compromises are done in a few minutes. Now, I, I will disclose to you, an associate of mine and I often have uh, competitions to break into, uh, in the old days, we used to break into CPA firms in front of CPA firms in an audience. And the two of us would just ask for a you know, firm who thought they were very secure, and then we'd proceed to break in. And uh, both of us were pretty quick. Most of the time, we could do it in less than a minute. Uh, I got a little slower uh, over time. The other guy was a little quicker, faster typer, a little more experienced. But normally, we could break in in less than a minute. And sometimes, the firms would discover them quickly. But as this chart illustrates, only 3% are, are discovered quickly in a few minutes. It turns out that 68% or two-thirds go almost, uh, you know, months without being uh, discovered. So, now just kind of picture somebody's in your system and they're wandering around pretty much without anybody asking uh, or discovering them for months. How much Data? Do you think they can get? How much yeah. damage do you think they could do? It'd be like somebody wandering around your office and nobody asking, "Who are you?" Yeah. Um, you know.
0: Yep. Yeah. I mean, we, I think uh, you know what this really kind of speaks to is is reality versus what expectations are. I think most folks think that uh, you know these things are you know take a long time to plan and, and an even longer time to execute. But in reality, again, it's a numbers game. I mean, it's just they go on if they can't breach you, they go to the next one. You know. Uh, but if they get in, this kind of really kind of speaks, I think, to let's call them uh, uh, detective uh, controls inside your organization. Most detective controls aren't really that good. Um, you know, if you're a big business, even then it can't be great. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of the uh, Equifax data breach where that went on for, I believe, about three months. I'm reminded of the Yahoo data breach that went on for like 10 years. Um, the reality is if they can get in, the first thing they do is they they put in procedures to keep them hidden, you know, to stay in as long as they can. Even, you know, for example, the, uh, we're not going to talk about this today, but the supply chain data breaches of like, for example, the, uh, um, oh I'm reaching for it here. Help me out. Um, uh, last year with respect to, um, Oh God, the, uh, the network monitoring software company, um, Oh, a uh, solar winds, solar winds. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> sorry, I,
1: I was leaving you out yes.
0: here cause I'm
1: like, which, where is he going? Is it <laughs> There's been so engines? many is it solar yes. winds? What's he talking about here?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I, I get it. Yeah. And with the solar winds breach, I mean, same thing. I mean, that went on for, you know, frankly, if you haven't updated, it's still going on. Um, but you know, I think, I think most folks just don't realize that uh, data breaches is just like a moment in time. It can go on for a very long period. And at least as of this report, and again, I think this came out in the 2021 or 2019, uh, at the time, 70% will go on for months. And the data and the reports that we have about this really kind of do illustrate that, uh, that they do go on for a long period of time.
1: And there's lots of them. I mean, you know, you heard me just trying to rescue Steve there a little bit, and he was asking for help, but there were so many of them. It's like, which one do you want me to talk about? I know. You you know, I named two, but I bet you there's 20. And, in fact, I've gotten to the point I don't follow these as closely as I used to simply because there's, without exaggeration, dozens per day. Mm -hmm. And then the question is just how severe they are. And, you know, he happened to pick a pretty severe one, which, by the way, compromises infrastructure read nuclear reactors yeah. read you know other things that you know if somebody got in and started playing with the nuclear reactor like they did with the florida water system same type of breach it could not end well
0: yep yeah and and frankly uh i will say with the solar winds breach in particular it it breached every Every um, agency, executive agency of the U.S. government from the Department of Energy to the DOD, uh, and I think like 90 plus percent of the Fortune 500 as well, you know, and that's correct. Uh, if you're interested in that, definitely check out uh, what, they're, what are called supply chain data breaches, which are an increasing, um, I think I saw one statistic said they're up 650%. And the idea behind this is is that you might be strong and secure, but is every company you buy and license and update and download software from secure? And the answer is not always. Um, and in that particular breach, a very, very well-known, widely supported company, again, used by 100% of uh, uh, the U.S. executive department, they experienced data breach. Their customers thought they were updating and getting safe and secure software, but the software that they were updating through their standard update channels, in fact, contained malware that caused breaches on their side. And I don't think we'll ever know the full extent of all of that.
1: No, as a matter of fact, I know that some organizations that are infected are trying to make sure that that doesn't yeah. get out. Right? How, how can and you? So- yeah. Yeah, you don't really want it to that way. So, you know, when you think about these various reports, the CrowdStrike uh, report, which is a very intelligent AI-based protection system, points out that, you know, data breaches rarely involve just the single computer or, you know, endpoint that's uh, targeted. Usually what they're doing is they're using that as the gateway to get to everything inside your organization. And literally... Uh, the bad actors, when they get in, will move from one compromised asset to another. A lot of times, the computer host, and that that time is really basic, basically called the breakout time. And the mm-hmm. average breakout time now is a little less than two hours, an hour and 38 minutes, according to the CrowdStrike report. And we have seen many organizations where the breakout time is, you know, a minutes. few minutes, 10 yeah. or 15 minutes. It's rare that it's long. So the real question we want to ask here is, can your organization respond quickly enough to recognize there's been a breach and respond? Can you mobilize your entire organization to get everything protected and shut down in 90 minutes, which is maybe what this would say? And frankly, a lot of people would be— thinking oh we've got some sort of computer problem (laughs) the the internet's not working right and you'd fritz around for 10 or 15 minutes before you realize something is really severely wrong here right and so you'd squander a bunch of your response time And uh, I just don't think many of our organizations can move that quickly. We don't have the surveillance tools like CrowdStrike in place. And even if you have CrowdStrike, sometimes it's not in CrowdStrike's capabilities to recognize a particular breach yet. So that can happen pretty doggone quickly.
0: Yep, it can and, and I mean even under the best of circumstances your Fortune 500, your big tech companies, government agencies, uh, it's not only it's never going to be solely just a a technology. It's it's going to require skilled competent people with experience to be able to recognize when when these types of breaches occur. Um, security is not just a it's not just a computer thing. It's not just installing anti-malware solutions or putting a firewall in place. It's about having competent IT staff that can be able to manage this and wrangle the people inside the company, but then also having good staff that are educated on what to do and not to do and be able to recognize when a threat occurs, you know, and um, frankly, that's that's difficult, even under the best of circumstances. So-
1: under the best of circumstances. In fact, I uh, have begun using the catchphrase that These security responses and all of this that we're talking about is actually a process, not a project. Mm -hmm. A lot of businesses think they can just do something and that protects them. No, it's continuous. And when the vendors are selling these protection services, uh, security operation centers oftentimes, what they're trying to promote is that they have the capabilities of watching this stuff and responding. And they do but I'm still not convinced even those are quick enough
0: in response. I agree. I agree. So let's go ahead and have our second review question here, Randy, which is something we just discussed here. What does the e-crime breakout time measure? And again, this is a metric coming from that clown strike report here. Um, You know, the correct answer here is going to be, it's the time it takes for an adversary to move laterally within the network. Often uh, I'll use the Equifax breach as an example. Uh, the bad actors found one bad system, and I'm using bad, you know, with quotes here, uh, really it was just a system that had not been updated. There had been a known uh, zero-day attack. Equifax had not updated that system to patch that zero-day attack breach. Somebody found out about it, was able to get in, and often it's easier to get in. Once you're through, you know, the the uh, the castle walls, you can walk freely among the castle here. It's the same thing with a with that breakout time, once you're kind of past that initial thing and you're in the network, you could start walking around and finding stuff quickly. And, um, the correct answer here is again, being able to get in and then move and be able to infect other stuff. And so the other options here, it's not the time it takes to compromise a a network. It's not the time it uh, takes to resolve from a data breach. And it is not the time for law enforcement to respond. It's just the time it takes to move within the network.
1: Yeah, and see, this breakout time that we've just mentioned is about an hour 38 in the current stats. Uh, Notice that the threat actors may get in in a few minutes, like we just uh, had Mm -hmm. also discussed. Mm -hmm. And resolving data breaches, most of the ones that I see are long-time days and weeks, sometimes even months. And then the response for law enforcement to these, it's also exceptionally long. And,
0: you know, a whole bunch of these cyber crimes are not resolved. Yes, I agree. And you know, I, I'm willing to bet we hear about maybe five percent of all of data breaches that occur. I mean, if you're a big if you're if you're a business and you don't have any public disclosure requirements, why would you go and tell people this occurred? It's not gonna help you. So well, moving on, let's go into our our, our final section for today and just just kind of summarize, I think, maybe two or three of the main attack types that are out there. And these are these again also are coming from the DBIR report and I've provided some additional guidance from additional reports as well. Uh, and the DBIR report uh, summarizes and classifies these uh, different types of attacks into about six or seven main attack types. And obviously, there's nuance and and specific types of, of uh, uh, approaches. Certain criminal organizations like the Ruck group or the SamSam group will take. They've got their own specific flair, you know, just in the same way I can get, you know, a million different types of burgers or pizzas. You know, it's the same types with these attacks. There's all individual specifics, but they really kind of fall down into, again, six or seven main types here. We've got our web application attacks, breaking and compromising systems. We've got denial of service, DDoS, distributed denial of service, uh, all the way down to just, you know, hey, social engineering and privilege misuse. Uh, We're not going to go through every one of them. I think we'll just pick maybe two or three of these that I think are of the most interest, but, um, Randy, maybe uh, take a look at this chart here. Maybe give me some of your take uh, on this. This is uh, looking at the different attack types over time from 2017 to to today. Uh, Anything stand out from you with respect to, you know, looking at these different attacks over time? Like, are you surprised that like, oh, intrusions higher now than it was previously or social engineering isn't lower than what we expect? Anything kind of stand out from you as being particularly interesting?
1: Well, you know, um, I was probably a slow responder to this year's release because I've thought about this since March. So this is not like a, you know, today thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. But the trend lines here and the way that they've woven them in the current graphics from the Verizon report are fascinating. Clearly, you can see the radical increase of system intrusion that occurred related to the pandemic, I suspect, and the ability to point. break into systems from uh, people's homes because we had home workers working from home that didn't have enough security and it became a quick way in uh, to corporate networks. So that was one of the big upticks as I saw it there. Now, you'll notice because that was so uh rewarding we could get in so well some of the other attacks didn't make as much sense so notice social engineering dropped off now social engineering continued the uptick in the early part of the pandemic but people were instructed i think to be aware of these social attacks and they became more comfortable in that light but i think the trend down on social engineering the basic web attacks, and the miscellaneous errors all dropped. Now, it does depend on what region of the world you're in, too, Steve. Of course. Because bas- basic web attacks are still very high in uh, the GCC, uh, United Arab Emirates and Oman and places like that, and in Africa, because the systems there are not as sophisticated, so the bad actors can use a simpler attack method, which the basic web attack is. And uh, you saw the kind of big uptick that was going on with basic web because when the economies were what they were in 2018 pre-pandemic, you know, places like the UAE were doing very well. And you could break into systems there with very simple attacks. So, I think those are kind of the big things. You'll notice that some traditional things uh, like privilege misuse and lost and stolen assets and so forth have all trended downward. I think that's because the rewards of the other methods are better.
0: Well, the thing I will specifically add about, I think, the uh, the privilege misuse, too, I think some of the authentication has gotten better, too, with the uh, more people being aware of uh, two-factor authentication and also with respect to uh, strong passwords. You know, it, it doesn't make as much sense to steal somebody's password if you're just going to get hit with a text message requiring you to put in a code, you know? Uh, and I also think the other piece of this, too, is I think businesses have become a lot more aware with respect to their insider and privilege misuse. Uh, and to be clear on this, we're talking about when people do unapproved things here um, that they're not using they're using their own accounts. So why would I go and steal or perpetrate uh, you know, data theft? And it's just going to be attributed to me. They're going to say, oh, it's on Steve's login. And, you know, that's what happened. And, um, you know, I, I think that's probably probably part of the reason we've seen that kind of trend down that way.
1: Yeah, and you're you're on spot on on that because multi-factor authentication has been required by cyber insurance policies more yes. and more over the last yep. five years, let's say. And, uh, in fact, the newer policies right now are requiring to re-authenticate at least twice a day, not just once. So, you're going to see even more of that. But MFA, in my mind, was mandatory for these
0: know, privilege
1: situations. and. Yep you know, they, those continue to improve and become simpler to use and more widespread.
0: I know so many tax accountants that are so frustrated starting first and forward with my, uh, my father, the fact that they have to put in their password down on their tax application programs. I feel like every about you know, inactivity of like 30 minutes or more, they got to reauthenticate to prove that they are who they are. And I think it's really to kind of produce this specific risk and exposure, but, uh, you know, folks, something, something I often say is that there's a direct correlation between, um, password like security and inconvenience something that's more secure is generally less convenient things that are more convenient are generally less secure and um you know you got to find that healthy middle ground where you're not killing people with just you know 16 character passwords that have to be changed every 12 hours and you know and and you know passwords that could be 10 characters long with no special characters and changed you know every 10 years like there's got to be a balance um because really it, it you can't just kill your people with security uh, because I, I think, in some respects, there is diminishing returns with this. Like there, um, at some point, you know, you start, you stop getting some of the benefits. But at the same time, you can't have nothing because then you're just, you're just leaving yourself open for risk and exposure. Now, Randy, um, from my perspective, something that just seems to be a product of a bygone era, but yet still absolutely seems right on top of, of today. And if we look at all the reports, almost all of them indicate that social engineering is something that still is super uh, common and almost always at least a element of major data breaches. Um, It seems like we should have resolved this 15 years ago, but yet it's still here. Um, What's your perspective? Maybe define this for us. And then what's your perspective on on this particular attack type today?
1: Yeah. So the social engineering approach is uh, trying to discover enough information about users that you can use that to get inside the system now simple examples in the old days would have been able to maybe guess people's passwords because they knew your school's uh you know mascot those type of things but today i think a lot of these attacks are still against uh more significant uh people inside the organization higher up people in positions of authority so ceos managing partners that class and that I think that happens because they're busier, and I think it also happens because the the value of getting their mm-hmm. credentials is more. And so that vector seems to be good. Now, I don't mind disclosing to our listeners, uh, I, I have had fairly high titles across the organizations I participate in, and I get social engineering attacks on the rate of multiple per day. And it's clear they're social engineering attacks to me, and I, I think I'm being wise about avoiding them, but some of them are so good at times. It's like, oh, that's from one of my employees or, oh, that's from a client. Yeah. It's like, oh, good. So that's the idea of this. They're less common than they were, but I think they're used for, you know, uh, more significant victims.
0: You know, I, I, I've been waiting to share this, but it's so perfect. You know, like how many of you just think to yourselves quietly, how many unsolicited text messages do you get? How many unsolicited emails do you get? How many phone calls now? I mean, I get people calling me constantly, um, you know, with the spam phone calls and they're not always spam. I mean, yeah, you got some of them that are obviously spam, you know, for example, the uh, the car warranty one, which I, I think I feel like that's the attack du you Um, you know, but there's so many of these people that are trying to scam you and ultimately it's social engineering. They're trying to, they're trying to con you. It's a con job. And I got this right when we, uh, we started, uh, our podcast today and it's a text message and it says, hi, Jez, I'm Lisa. I can't come to the party tomorrow. I have so much to worry about. Can you help? You know? And again, I don't know who this person is. What they're trying to do is to kind of create some sense of urgency. You know, they want me to engage and be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. How can I help? Or whatever it ends up being. But I mean, we're getting hit with these constantly. You have to be so vigilant folks because, everybody's trying to scam you and it might just be scamming out of money and it could be something much more uh, pervasive and something much more detrimental where they're targeting you because of who you are. And you know, if they can compromise you, then they can compromise the organizations you're a part of. Now, one other type, and that's probably what we're going to have time for today here. Uh, We'll save uh, ransomware and malware for our next episode, which are absolutely worthy of their own full discussion. But uh, let's talk about the other main vector and the other type of main attack that I think really affects business folks, which is a BEC attack or business email compromise attack, which is essentially an extension of that social engineering. And um, it just seems, Randy, that uh, email has been and probably will be for as long as I'm in practice, the main communication uh, vehicle for business, you know, the bag actors know this, you know, and and they're, they're, they're constantly barraging us with emails now that sometimes look so darn good that it's almost impossible sometimes not to click on them. I mean, what's your take on the, uh, on the BEC attack type? Well, they, they
1: truly are aggressive. You know, the earlier stats said that 84 percent of all cyber attacks were distributed by email. That number, I think, is true. That number does go up and down over time. Uh, We can put some protections in front of our business email, and it's clear that, you know, major vendors like uh, Oh Barracuda, as an example, Mimecast, as an example, uh, Microsoft has their you know, advanced threat protection and other uh, protections on email nowadays, it is clear that the bad actors know that they can get there. And, you know, that goes back to one of our fundamentals in this area on business email. Uh, Never uh, open an attachment and never click on a link in an email unless you're expecting or know who it's from. And even at that, a lot of times I won't click on an email. I'll I'll pick the uh, link up and go on from there. But, Basically, the other thing that you've said, Steve, is a change in business email compromise. In the old days, graphics weren't quite right. Misspellings were common. Things were fuzzy. Now they're gorgeous.
0: Yeah.
1: And yeah. I, I would tell you that most of the business email compromises I've seen are so good, I can't tell them from the real deal other than they're just suspicious. In other words, the spelling's right, and even this, the style of the writing and match the person that they're trying to uh, portray they are so it's a big deal
0: yeah yeah and what i have here is just an example of one i got by email not too long ago and obviously this is you know i, I would say for the with the more discerning or savvy of users i think we can spot 90 percent of them maybe even 95 percent of them and this is a, clearly a, a very poor one you know they could have included the shell logo it made it a little bit less blocky and and obviously it's so clearly uh over the top $500 gift card, you know, um, but you know, to, it's a numbers game for these people. You send out 2 billion email inevitably, even if 0.01% uh, click on it. I mean, that's still thousands of people, uh, hundreds of thousands of people even, uh, and that's all it takes, you know, to really kind of make it. I mean, there's the, the ROI on these attacks for these people are so high you know, because it's, it's, you're operating again in countries where there's pretty much no risk. It doesn't really cost much to be able to do this. I mean, you can you can inflict a lot of damage with almost no overhead and they've yeah. gotten much more sophisticated too. As you mentioned, I got one, um, uh, I got one, it was, uh, specifically emailing me, you know, cause you know, I'm a partner in the firm and you know, it was from one of my, my staff. Now this staff happened to be uh, my wife, Alicia. <laughs> She's also our marketing director asking me to change her, uh, the payroll, uh, bank account, you know, and saying that she had bought a new bank account. I looked up the routing number. It was for a bank in uh, I think it was Hong Kong you know and it's like oh that's really interesting i had never knew my wife was banking in hong kong at the at the moment but uh had the same uh, email signature you know the the logo at the bottom it it looked like it was it was a spoofed email i knew it was bad because it came up with a insecure uh email but i mean again i mean it, it you could do this very quickly you can do for a lot of people and they specifically targeted me and i'm guessing they got the info from linkedin from our website we obviously have lots of stuff on the web. So, you know, you, you just need to realize as a, a financial professional, as a leader in your business, you're going to be targeted. And they can look as as silly as this one that we have on the screen to being really sophisticated. And the only thing I regret is I didn't take a screenshot of that email, that, uh, that fake one. I would have loved to have shared it with you all. Uh, so Randy, we're coming to the end of our time here. Why don't we go ahead and close with one review question and then we'll maybe summarize what we'll cover in our next episode here. And so here's our next review question. I'm going to let you respond to it. What is the intended outcome of a social engineering attack? What do you, what do you think the correct answer here is?
1: Well, you know, in this case, we've got three things for you to consider. The victim willingly provides their social security number to the adversary. Uh, The victim will willingly download malware to their device. The victim willingly violates a security principle or all of the above. And I believe that each one of those, again, is correct. Uh, You know, if you can get a social security number, that's good. If you can download malware, that's good from the bad actor's perspective. And, you know, if you do something like click on a link or open an attached file, that's a problem. So I think all of the above is the best of the answers.
0: I agree. I think each answer is individually correct. But, you know, in the context of this question, all of these are intended, could be intended outcomes of a social engineering attack. You know, ultimately, it's a con job. It's fraud. You know, they're, they're trying to do something and it could be an angle of identity theft. It could be an angle of getting you to download something then cause a data breach for your organization and more. Um, but I would tell you, be vigilant. you have to be careful about what you uh, what you click on, what you read. In our next episode, I think what we'll probably discuss are some remediation efforts. and jump ahead a little bit. One of the best things you can do with respect to business email compromise is to train your staff using tools like Know before, uh, which is a k two favorite tool that we talk about, or GoFish to teach your people and actually give them some real world experience on what a social engineering attack is. So when they face it in the wild, they'll be prepared. They'll be prepared for it.
1: So, uh, Randy, In fact,
0: you're you're right,
1: Steve. We have so many more things. I'm I'm actually thinking, you know, we could go for eight hours (laughs) and probably not get through everything. And we're not repeating ourselves much. So, you know, the goal here will be to teach you some of these other concepts.
0: Yep. And, you know, in part two of this class, just to give you primed up, I think we'll probably discuss a little bit more with some of the different attack types and some ways that you can educate yourself and to be aware of them. Uh, and then also giving you some steps to pre- prepare yourself. I think it's so easy to scare people and not give them any sort of resources to um, prepare themselves. But we really want to give you the tools necessary to defend yourselves. Uh, you know, teach a – give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Teach a man a fish, feed him for a lifetime. We want to give you that – teach you how to fish here, Uh and I'm using the P word, the fish P-H-I-S-H, so that uh, you could see what will happen and be able to put some resources in place in your organization to lock it down and, and to hopefully prevent this from occurring to you. And so uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up here today. We'll have this next episode out in the coming weeks and months. So please, again, stay tuned, watch our social media, subscribe to our newsletter, and you'll be aware uh, when that, that next, next episode will pop up. Now, again, I want to remind you, if you are watching or listening, you can receive CPE credits for today's presentation. Super simple. Again, head over to cpetoday.com. Today's course code is P-A-D-B. Uh, you'll take a short five-question quiz, and you'll earn a credit for today's class. And again, if you are a new watcher or listener, use coupon code one podcast to check out to make today's broadcast or any other podcast if you're choosing uh, 100% free. I would encourage you to connect with us on social media. Randy and I both have our own social media. You can connect with K2 as well as CPE Today on pretty much every network, YouTube, Facebook, and more. And the K2 CPE Today podcast, again, is produced twice a week live, where you can watch live and earn credits live. Or you can consume it wherever you happen to receive your content, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and elsewhere. Uh, Randy, any final thoughts before we sign off for today? Well, there's
1: so much to learn. We are encouraging you to be careful out there. Again, we're not trying to scare you. We're trying to position you to be much better protected. And we will have much more for you in the future episodes.
0: As always, my good friend, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for all of you listening. And we'll see you back in the office the next time around. Thank you. Best wishes and good luck.